Hello, and welcome to Exhaling Words, the language podcast where I'm just going to talk, and I hope you're listening. For those of you who don't know, my name is Aaron, and I am your host. Now, I didn't post an episode last week, and I just wanted to briefly sort of apologize for it. Um, I've had a lot of things going on in my personal life, and I just needed some time to breathe and to catch up on stuff. In the meantime, I have added to my list, my very long and ever-growing list of topics that I want to talk about. And I began recording an episode about relative difficulty in language learning, which I thought would be good as it's related to fluency and language proficiency, which was what my last episode was on. However, as much as I kept trying to get into that episode, the thing that kept being on my mind lately was a question of likes and dislikes, motivation, and language choice. And this is a topic that comes up a lot, I think, in our community. And so I really want to just talk about some of the things that we face, both in terms of what we're told to study, as well as some of the struggles that we might face personally in terms of choosing a language or overcoming difficulties in a language or something that we don't like about a language or about things associated with it, such as a culture, for example. For those of you who don't feel like listening to me drone on about language choice for 30 minutes, I'll summarize it this way. Your language choice is yours. It is entirely personal, and no one gets to tell you what to do and why you should do it or why you shouldn't do something. If there is a language that you want to learn, and you genuinely have a desire to learn it, learn it. Do not listen to what others are telling you that, you know, that language isn't useful or something. You know, there may be struggles to find sources, to find speakers or something, but they are out there. And if you put in the effort, you can find them and you can make it work. So whatever it is that you want to learn, whether it's, Mandarin Chinese, Spanish, or, you know, Chamorro, or Ilocano, or something. There are books, there are sources, there are speakers. Do it. Okay, so for those of you who are still around, I want to start with something that I think a lot of language learners face, which is outside influence. Now, outside influence is probably the most common thing that I see in terms of what either informs or inhibits um, an individual's language choice when they're, when they're thinking about what language they want to study. This is something that I have both experienced as a receiver of somebody else's outside influence, but I've also participated in it. And I think it's normal to a certain extent to want to help people make informed choices about um, what they can do with their language study or what a sort of perceived benefit or use is of studying that language. And so I don't think it's all bad. I do think that quite often it comes from a good place. However, what I will say is that I think a lot of times the question of language benefit or language use becomes a way to judge people. And I don't think that that's a good approach for people to be taking. So I think the most common example that all of us have heard is that, you know, oh, you should study Mandarin Chinese. 
China is a business force throughout the world and a market force. And, you know, that's the language of the future. I do not know how many times I have heard those phrases. Study Mandarin Chinese. China is the future. Chinese is the language of the future. And now I'm not saying that I don't think that that could possibly be true. China is a great market force and is a world power. And so there is something to be said for wanting to study Mandarin Chinese. My issue with this is that it's often used by outsiders to belittle and judge people who have chosen to study a language that might not have the same amount of, let's call it capital, in the working world. And so if somebody says that they want to study Italian, for example, because they love Italian food, they love Italian history and Italian literature and Italian culture, and they went on this trip to Italy and they just fell in love with Italy and they really want to learn Italian, that is 100% valid. And if somebody ever came to me and said, this is why I want to learn Italian, I would tell them, do nothing else. Pour your soul into studying that language, because if that's the love you have for it, that is where you need to be putting your effort. And then what happens is that you get these outsiders who come in and say, oh, well, Italian isn't useful. It only has this small number of speakers compared to something like Mandarin or, you know, learn Hindi or learn Arabic or learn Spanish. There are so many speakers. And the number of speakers does not dictate the importance of a language. Now, can that be useful? Yes, of course. I mean, I taught Arabic at a university. I, I've recruited students to join my program. Day one of my Arabic class, you throw up a map of the Arab world, and one of the first sentences out of my mouth is that Arabic has over 400 million native speakers. Period. End of discussion. I say that. But I think the difference is that I don't say that to say that you shouldn't study another language. I'm just saying that it is a possible benefit of studying Arabic, that it opens the door to communication with hundreds of millions of people. And that is a benefit. And when you're highlighting the benefits of a language, I think that's fully appropriate. But when you're trying to shame another person's language choice in their personal study or in their professional study by claiming that your language is better and their language isn't good enough because your language has some sort of market capital or a large number of native speakers. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's irrelevant and that's invalid. Now, if personally you've ever chosen to study a language because of market capital, because of professional reasons, I'm also not saying that that's a bad choice. There's nothing wrong with choosing to study a language because it's useful for your career. We all get to choose what languages we study. This is our choice. What we don't get to choose is our native language that was sort of forced on us by our parents and by our birth. But the language that we study is something that we often get to choose. Now I realize that in an increasingly globalized world in which English is very much the dominant language, in places where we still have a history of colonialism, you know, the choice isn't always 100% ours. A lot of you who are listening are not native English speakers, and you learned English because it was the language that was given to you in the fourth grade. Or you learned English because if you wanted to be online with people, this was the language that people were using on the internet. 
I'm not saying that there aren't other factors that drive our language choice and that it's a hundred percent personal, but I do think that we still very much have a choice in it. Now, these outsiders don't have to be people who aren't part of the language community, who don't know anything about languages or know anything about language learning. These are sometimes people within our own community. Whether it's those of us who are teachers and we want to promote the language that we teach, whether it's people who are trying to dictate our study in other ways. And I get to this point thinking of my own personal experience in academia. You know, I don't know how many times I was personally told, well, one, like study Mandarin or whatever. And then even, you know, once we got past the, well, you should study Mandarin, people would go, oh, well, you work on the Middle East, you speak Arabic, why don't you study Pashto? Why don't you study Persian? Why don't you study one of these languages that's useful for U.S. foreign policy or for the military? And I never wanted to work for the military. I never wanted to work for the government. I very much, you know, always pushed back against that. I was, in my mind, this sort of moral person that I just, you know, I just wanted to study languages because they were cool and I loved this region. And, you know, and that was always my driving force. It still is my driving force. And so I never let people dictating that, oh, well, this language is useful for a career with the government or something, try to tell me that that was the way I should go with my career. However, as much as I wanted to feel sort of this level of morality about my language choice, I still allowed myself to often be pushed in directions by outsiders. Now, these weren't outsiders of, you know, people who weren't in my community, but they weren't me. Those of you who have listened to the previous episodes and have heard me talk about my journey through graduate school and some of my language choices along the way, you know that when... Well, so when I first went into graduate school for my master's degree, I wasn't really sure what I was doing. To be honest, when I applied to my master's degree, I applied to four schools. Two of them, I proposed a project to work on the dialect of Palestinians from inside of Israel and sort of how Hebrew language education and living in, you know, inside of Israel had affected their dialect of Arabic. And then I applied to two schools to work on Arabo-Persian contact. I only got into the schools for a rabbit portion contact, and I let that dictate um, my career, which I'm not upset about that, and that's not my example. But when I got into graduate school and I started studying, you know, when I went to propose my PhD project to get into uh, PhD programs, my project, for those of you who remember, was a comparison of the development of accession and Pashto and language contact in their developments and sort of looking at how language contact affected each one of them so differently in terms of their development from a Middle Iranian language into new Eastern Iranian languages. And I thought this was a great project. You know, maybe had I gotten to continue with it, I would have found flaws in it. I would have, you know, found that other people had written too much about it and there wasn't really much new for me to say. But at the time, I I really felt sure of it. But I don't know how many times I was told that it wasn't feasible. I mean, I, I, I got into graduate school with it, but pretty much no one works on the actual project that they proposed when they when they actually end up working on their dissertation. Very few people still work on the project that they proposed on their first application. But at one point, my advisor told me I wasn't allowed to work on just languages, that I had to take it from a historical perspective. 
I don't know how many times I heard people telling me that I couldn't do a project like that because it involved too much history, too broad of a region, and too many languages. And I don't know how many times I stood in front of my friends and probably quite arrogantly complained about how just because they think that, you know, you shouldn't work on a project for more than four languages, just because they can't work with more than four languages, why, why does that mean I can't work with eight or ten languages? Um, and maybe I was justified, maybe I was just an arrogant asshole. Probably a mix of both, to be quite honest. But whatever the result, I was allowing others to dictate my language study. Whether it's that negative way, or even in positive ways, you know, I would go to... Uh, I would go to conferences and I went to summer schools and I met people who, you know, I went to a conference and, and I met a friend and colleague who was working on Baluchi. And I was like, oh, I should, I should learn Baluchi. Um, I met a colleague who was working on Uralo Iranian contact. And I was like, oh, I should study Finnish. I should study Hungarian. And I let myself get swept up in these sort of fantasies of hey, I should work on that. That sounds cool. Look at what that person's doing. Instead of letting myself sit down and go, what is it that I truly want? What is it that I want to work on? What is it that puts a smile on my face when I read about it? What is a language that I just love to listen to, that I just love to speak? And those are the questions that I think we should be asking ourselves. Not that we can't consider things like professional development or the use of a language in our career. You know, sometimes that is necessary. You want to work in business and this, you know, this country is really big in your sector. Sure, learn that language. But it can't just be about business. There has to be more to it. You have to find something else that, that lights that spark inside of you, whether it's music, whether it's food, whether it's some piece of the culture. And sometimes those are the things that draw us in. I had no desire to work on Bulgarian. What? Like how, why would I work on the Balkans or Eastern Europe at all? But you know what? I loved Bulgarian music. I love Chalga. It's cheesy. It's awful sometimes, but I love it. You know, and sometimes it's, it's, it's something as simple as music. And sometimes it's something as complex as, I like how that sounds. You know, some of you have heard me say it. I just really like the sound of Armenian. I really like the sound of Georgian. On, on a very intellectual level, I find Georgian as this sort of puzzle that I want to understand. And that sort of challenge is what makes me want to know this language more. And so I think it's these very personal things on these very personal ways that we can connect with a language that really bring us the most motivation. Business, profession, career, these things can bring us motivation by all means. But sometimes that's not enough. You know, sometimes that only gets us so far. But what is it that makes you want to come home from school, come home from work, get up in the morning, drink your coffee, and then immediately sit down and do something with that language. Now, I'm not saying you have to sit down and study grammar every day. You know, not everybody is me. Not everybody has to be that nerdy. But just wanting to, I don't know, I often create these images in my head of like bathing in the language, like a sound bath. You know, just just sitting there and watching a movie in, you know, in Malayalam. And just taking it in while reading the subtitles taking in the beauty of 
like the beauty of Kerala, the, the, the beauty of the language, taking in, you know, whatever you can of the sound and of the culture while watching a film, that's an immersive experience. I think we talk about immersion, but we don't talk enough about what that really means of, of actually immersing yourself. Um, and that's a conversation for another day, to be quite frank. So, but yeah, I just, I think that finding that thing that motivates us is important. And I think it becomes all the more important when we recognize that there are also things that demotivate us. You know, as a queer person, one of the most common things that I hear from people in terms of demotivators in language learning is the treatment of queer people within that country where the language is spoken or within the culture of the speakers of that language. Especially working on like Western Asia, I don't know how many times I heard from queer friends, you know, well, I can't study Arabic. Like, look at what happens to gay people in the Arab world. Or, or I can't study Persian. Look at what happens to gay people in Iran. Um, or I've heard it so much, you know, about Russian. Or the fact that, you know, I've been to the Caucasus. You know, and, and, and it's everything from I can't study that language to how did you live there? I don't know how many times I've gotten the question. How did you live in, you know, in the Arab world as a queer person? What was it like? And, and there is something about my experience as a queer person living in the Arab world. But I also, I don't know, there were times where I didn't feel like it took away from my experience. It was another aspect of it. Finding queer friends, you know, being part of queer spaces. And, and that's my thing, is that whenever people bring up, you know, LGBTQ plus rights and stuff as a, as a demotivator for language learning, you know, not wanting to study Arabic or Persian or Russian or Indonesian or, I don't know, there's so many languages we could list because of the poor treatment of queer people in those countries. I don't know, I always feel like this is, now this is my personal opinion, but I always feel like, to me, that's another motivator. I was a queer person who was raised in a very conservative place. Maybe not in a place where my life was threatened every day, but I had friends who grew up down the street and their life was threatened. They came out of the closet, their father literally chased them out of the house with a gun. Now, granted, my parents were not quite that extreme, but I got kicked out of my house. I went months uh, without talking to my family. I went years without seeing them in person and I still struggle with my relationship with them and that's all personal stuff but I guess because of my experience of being raised that way of having to live on the other side of not being accepted for who I was that when I think about the queer people who live in these countries I very much empathize with them and not that I think I need to save them or something please 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 don't think that that's the case but there is a culture there. You know, there are queer Arabs, and they make beautiful culture, and they make beautiful art, and they're doing so much for their own community in the countries in which they live. And the same thing is happening with queer Russians, and the same thing is happening with queer people in parts of Southeast Asia. The same thing is happening with queer people in, you know, in all parts of the world, in Africa, in China, in, in all of Asia, in all of South America, 
you know, just because your perception as an outsider is that it's not safe for queer people there. And while that may be true, it doesn't mean that there aren't queer people there. It doesn't mean that there aren't queer stories. It doesn't mean that there aren't people who are looking for somebody like you who can connect with them on a very personal level and and who also wants to share in their experience and their culture and their language. That's a really big example that I get a lot, that I hear a lot. But there are other things, you know, people don't like, whether it's politics or religion. You know, I've heard a lot of stuff about a lot of negative things about Islam throughout the years, whether it's a question of racism or something, you know, the way people with darker skin colors are treated in certain parts of the world. And so while sometimes there are a lot of things that might dishearten us or demotivate us in our language learning, sometimes they're not the most important things, or sometimes they themselves can be the catalyst to motivate us in a new way. Now that being said, I don't want to completely ignore the fact that not having a motivation or a desire means that you should still push through. No, 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 no. By all means, if you have no motivation and no desire, and especially if it's justly caused, don't learn that language. That's fine. You know, sometimes it's about that language doesn't click for us. I always clicked with Romance languages. I studied Spanish, I studied French, I studied Portuguese, I've studied some Italian and Romanian things. I've always clicked with Romance languages. They make sense to me. And though I am a native speaker of English, Germanic languages didn't do the same for me. And so I spent years being told, oh, well, you should study German. How are you a polyglot? How do you speak all these languages and you don't speak German? And I did study German. I know German grammar. I know a decent amount of German. I don't speak it particularly well, but I mean, I sat for graduate exams in reading German where I had to read German and translate it into English, granted with a dictionary, and I passed them. But if you ask me to speak German, it's going to be rough. And it's not from a lack of trying. I have tried to study German. It just because it doesn't click with me, because I don't have that motivation, it just doesn't stay. Or I don't have the desire, and so I don't work on it. You know, this is a struggle that I have right now with Chinese. I told myself I was going to work on Chinese for professional reasons. As somebody who works on you know, Central Asia. In the present day, you know, China is doing more and more in Central Asia from an economic perspective. And even though I work, you know, in translation, and my translation will always be in the languages I work on, and probably never Chinese, I just, I like having that perspective. I, I would like to know Chinese enough to be able to pull up Chinese language media and news and sort of get that perspective when I'm working on like a big translation project or something. And Though I have that motivation for a professional reason, it's the only motivation I have. And to be honest, it's kind of weak, especially because, again, I'm not looking at doing Chinese translation. I will continue to do translation in Arabic and Persian and in whatever other languages I get to that level of proficiency on. But my goal is not to work in Chinese translation. And so that, that motivation to learn Chinese to that level really isn't there. And because I have no other outside motivators, I have no desire to study this language. Whereas I'm sitting here going, I love the way Malayalam sounds. And I'm really enjoying, you know, Malayalam music. And I like South Indian food. And I've been enjoying the Malayali 
cinema that I've been watching, and and though I have no quote beneficial professional reason to use Malayalam as a language, I still want to study it. You know, or similarly with wanting to, you know, study Scottish or Irish or Faroese or something to try to reconnect with my own personal heritage, which is, again, a whole separate story. I have no market capital for these languages. And not just because they're not related to Western or Central Asia, and that's where my career is, but because they're also like languages that are not spoken by a lot of people. You know, at least, you know, Malayalam has, you know, millions of speakers, Scottish, Irish, Faroese. I mean, I think the three of those together, we might hit a million speakers. Um, And so those aren't languages where somebody is going to look at me and be like, yes, you should do that. That's a good idea. But they're languages that I care about and they're languages that I want to study. And that means so much more than the idea that this is a language that you should learn or this is a language that you can use professionally and that has some sort of market capital. So I think that generally the reasons that we come across to learn languages can be incredibly varied. You know, it can be a significant other. It can be an interest in food or culture, literature, music, whatever it may be. History. I love history. It can be professional reasons. I'm not saying professional reasons are a bad reason to learn languages. I just think that sometimes we need more than that. Whatever the reason, our language study is our choice. And it's a very personal experience. And that's something that I think people often don't think about. Especially people who tend to look at language study as a very utilitarian task. That it's, I'm learning a skill for me to use somewhere else. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Languages are a skill. I use them professionally. And I can improve them and I can expand them. You know, that it is a skill that can be used. However, I think that a lot of times what really truly motivates us to go deeper into a language, to find that drive, to find that love and that passion which will ultimately make studying the language more interesting and even easier in many ways. And that's something I want to talk about later. I think that those reasons are the most personal reasons. And that can be personal as in, this is the language of my family and my history. That can be personal as in, this is the language of my significant other. But that can be personal as in, I love the sound of this language. You know, I talked about immersion and sound immersion, and maybe this is me and my ASD and my own sound sensitivities, but I sometimes just love to listen, to just lay and listen to a language being spoken or to music in that language. And sometimes just the euphoria that comes from a combination of sounds that you find personally pleasing, that is motivation enough. So whatever it is that motivates you, hold on to that. Cling to that. Use that to find the energy to do more. And if you're struggling for motivation, seek it out. And if you can't find it, then maybe maybe you need to have that hard talk with yourself and say, is this something that I really want, that I truly, deeply want to do. 
Because at the end of the day, language learning is an investment. Even if you're not paying, even if you're not paying for books, even if you're not taking classes and having to pay for them, language learning is an investment of time and energy. And you have to be able to tell yourself, this is worth my time and energy because this is something I want. And sometimes I think that's the ultimate test, especially if you're like me and you have so many languages that you don't know what to do with them and you try making schedules. Sometimes what it comes down to at the end of the day is what I feel. You know, I do these study groups with my circle of friends on Zoom and sometimes we'll pop on and it'll be, hey, what are you working on today? And I go, I don't know. But for some reason, I just really want to do something with Armenian right now. For some reason, Scottish has been in my head all day. And sometimes that tells you what it is. You know, I look back at the past month and a half of 2021 and I think about what have I spent my time on? And what does that tell me about my motivation and about what I really care about? So take time to reflect on that. Focus on what's really motivating you and then put your energy there because that's where you want to put your energy to begin with. I hope that this has helped you in some way. I realize there are moments where I'm thinking back to the last 30 minutes and I'm going, wow, I sound like a motivational speaker. I sound really deep right now. This isn't that deep. It is deep, but I feel a little bit weird talking about it this way sometimes. Anyways, I hope it's helped. And I hope, you know, this is something that you get to reflect on more. And and it really is. It's something that changes. It's not static, your desire to learn or not learn a language. So keep that in mind. And as always, if you have thoughts on this, if you have opinions or comments you want to share, send them to me. By all means, send them to me, ask your questions, give me your opinion. I think this is a topic that's going to go on. Um, I'm hoping next week to talk about difficulty. And I really think that motivation plays into the question of language difficulty. So by all means, if you have thoughts on this, message me over the next week, um, because I'd like to hear what you all have to say. As always, if you want to get in touch with me, my name is Polyglot Aaron. That's P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T-E-R-I-N on all major social media and at gmail.com. And thank you.